Welcome back to the Ideas Podcast. I'm Ophelia, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Sina. How's it going? Good. Today, we will be joined by two very special guests. They are both authors of our latest Ideas Journal about sexuality. We will be starting off with Carmen, who wrote a article about what is the relationship between gender and sexuality. What's up, Carmen? How are you doing? I'm doing well. All right, so how about we start off with Carmen, you telling us a little bit about what your article is about and maybe just why you wrote it to begin with. Okay, yeah. So my article was on the relationship between sexuality and gender identity. And I wrote it specifically on the relationship between like sexuality and being transgender, namely because that is a, a problem, not a problem, it's not a problem, but um, something I am definitely aware of as a transgender person. That's that's mainly what drew me to the article. And also just because while there is a lot of narrative around gender and sexuality not being related, there are still things that can be interconnected in ways that are not talked about often. You know, and I think it's really special that it's also coming from you as a transgender person. It just enhances the depth and I guess the meaning of it a lot. Yes, you know, I definitely agree. And I remember that last podcast episode about disability. You, I think, also touched upon this, that it's incredibly more intense when it comes from a person who has experience in this topic. Yeah, definitely. As already said, you do have experience in this topic, but did you learn anything new from reading about this topic or thinking about this topic while you were writing the article? Well, I think, well, I thought about it a lot while writing the article because it felt like a little bit of pressure because I wasn't talking just about myself, but I had to definitely think about kind of how a cisgendered person would just think about transgender individuals as a whole. And one thing that like occurred to me that hadn't before was while like people can be supportive of people being transgender or talk about it a lot I think it's very different from them when it's like oh are you dating a transgender person is a transgender person part of your family so like the difference between like acceptance and then actually being close to someone was something I never necessarily thought of that was part of this I think that I wasn't expecting reading your article was honestly very eye-opening for me I am a cisgendered person, but up until now, I honestly thought that I was somewhat knowledgeable on topics concerning the LGBTQIA plus community because it is quite a big part of my life. And it is definitely something that I think needs a bigger platform. But reading this article really made me realize that there's so many things that we, and I'm saying we as just groups of cisgendered people, don't really realize exactly what internal struggles you sort of go through. Yeah. Um, if, I, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. And I think that it's just not, I mean, it's understandable to not understand why someone will be transgender if you're not transgender. But I think you have to have like a certain level of respect and curiosity towards it. Um, right. Even if you don't understand the topic as a whole. Yeah. Also, at one point you threw in some of your personal experiences with transphobia, which I thought was really eye-opening as well, honestly, because you had said that people have directly and indirectly also just said that people 
outright cannot be attracted to you simply yeah. transgender and i think that's honestly so disrespectful because it's hard enough to to come out in general and and accept yourself and if you don't have the support of others around you then of course that's not going to make you feel comfortable of course people have struggles coming out then if communities can't be accepting mm-hmm. in response to what you said Sina, i think it's another part of it that whereas you might be able to come out as transgender but then your sexuality isn't even like part of the picture for someone because they see that as like your entire identity you know so i think when people hear like oh this person is gay and transgender it's like a like a weight you can be both of those at once and i think like people sometimes borderline forget that transgender people have sexualities because it's such a big label for a lot of people when they think of a person i'm pretty sure lots of people think of me as the transgender one and not just like carmen with a, a lot of facets I think that what you just said really represents a lot of problems in the LGBTQIA plus community about labels. I think that it almost feels like there's so much value put on labels that people who are, for example, by curious people who don't really know what gender they fit into, but at the same time, don't necessarily identify as non-binary. You know, everybody who's sort of in the quote unquote gray area feels like they're not valid because they feel like they can't put a label on themselves and they can't be part of the community. So I think it's really important that you said that. I think that the label transgender has so much that's carried with it that it's kind of intimidating to come out as trans because they're, you say transgender and everyone has some thought that goes to their head right away. It's a little bit intimidating to kind of accept that identity as yourself because you're accepting like a whole bucket load of stereotypes with it. Yeah. And that's not just being transgender. So. Now, considering that this article is directed towards our JFK audience and students and teachers, what what do you think would be like the biggest takeaway of your article? What do you really want people to remember? Oh, oh gosh. Um, It's a tough question. (laughs) Yeah. I think what I'd want people to remember is that there is a difference between accepting people and like really living a life with them or around them. And I think that it's important to see, you know, transgender people as not just kind of a sort of limited, funky in-between situation, but actually people you're going to interact with. And I was talking about like transgender and sexuality. So, you know, not just portraying gay couples as cisgendered gay couples and straight couples as cisgendered straight couples because both of those things can involve transgender people and it doesn't change the label it doesn't necessarily okay all right to wrap this up um (laughs) i think that i would want people to get at the fact that you are in a relationship with a transgender person whether you're straight gay bi pan etc etc doesn't change the label itself if you're attracted to guys and you're attracted to a trans guy that doesn't change the label at all and it doesn't make you less valid or the transgender person um less valid i think that's really important yeah no that's definitely a common misconception mm-hmm. and i've heard it all around especially in our schools well where yes. people just don't understand that's why i think especially having the sexuality journal and just being able to have people speak of their own experiences and then just letting the community become a little bit more aware so special it's such a nice thing yeah yeah i would also say that i would want to i think another point of my article was to highlight the kind of 
confused, not confused, but murkiness around being transgender and having, you know, a labeled sexuality. Because like, if you're a trans mask person and you label yourself as gay, you automatically are taking on like a much more kind of like stereotype person that is usually assigned to a cisgendered person. And so I just would want to say that in coming out as trans, lots of people are also going to be have to re-looking at their, taking a look again at their sexuality or taking a look at how they see themselves around other people. Because I've heard of lots of events, I wrote about this in my article, where people come out and then realize their sexuality is not what they thought it is before they came out, because obviously they were all closed in and did not let themselves necessarily feel the same way or even think about being in a relationship because they couldn't even accept themselves. And so I think once people come out, obviously their view changes a lot. And so for a lot of transgender people, they're also going on like a sexuality exploration. So Yeah. And you had also said in your article that coming out is very individual. Like everyone has their own experiences. It's not like you can group every single person who falls into this category together. You know, there mm-hmm. there's still people on the inside, you know, like everything exactly is still very individual. All right. Thank you so much, Carmen, for talking to us. It's been incredibly interesting. It's been fun and you're just amazing to talk to. Thank you for writing this article. And I really hope that anyone who hasn't already reads the article and reads the entire journal because there is a lot of useful information there. And on that note, we want to move to Carlotta's article, which is once again, a very interesting and eye-opening article. But Really quickly before we do that, Carmen, do you have any recommendations that you would like to share with us that sort of speaks to the idea's mission? Well, I can say as like a certified reader of uh, many, many books, I definitely look for a lot of queer books, but I think the one that has spoken to me the most of any I have ever read, and that's a big thing (laughs) for me at least, is a book called Last Night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Lowe that is a historical fiction that takes place in Chinatown in San Francisco and kind of follows the main character, Lily, exploring her lesbian identity along with her Chinese-American identity as she aims to become a rocket scientist. It's, it's amazing. It's like the best things combined. So that's, I think it really speaks to the idea's mission. Highly recommends to anyone. And that was Carmen. His article is absolutely fantastic. And now to welcome Carlotta, who also wrote an article for this journal issue titled Sex Positivity, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. So without further ado, let's get into it. So Carlotta, how would you describe the article you wrote? What is your argument? I think in my article, I kind of try to look at the different facets of sex positivity, which is clearly shown in the title, right? The good, the bad, the ugly. So I try to talk about all the positives that come with our current understanding of what sex positivity means. But at the same time, I also try to talk about the different dangers that an uncontrolled or not well thought through idea of sex positivity can bring. And I think I don't have a clear argument. I think what I'm really just trying to say is that sex positivity is something that is, at its very core, a good thing. But it's something that we shouldn't just carelessly take into account. It's something that we need to think about and something that we need to explore as we deal with it. So what attracted you to this particular theme? Why did this pique your interest? Honestly, this was like, wow. 
six months ago, so I don't have the best recollection of what initially really drew me to this topic. But I think this was a time when I was kind of being disillusioned with the hypersex positivity that I was seeing because there was like a time where on TikTok all you would see is like this is how much money I make as a sugar baby every week or this is how much money I make like as a stripper every week which had like this very kind of glorious or glorification of sex positivity as a whole but then I was seeing more and more commentary on how most sex work Right, sex positivity isn't only related to sex work, but how most sex work is at its very core exploitative and how these posts often glorify this line of work, which is very, very dangerous for the women and men involved in it. And that's what kind of prompted me to take an interest in the topic and inspired me to just take a closer look at it and figure out what my own opinions were regarding the topic. I definitely agree. And I also remember a lot of people kept kind of claiming this era on TikTok was empowerment. And I think that was very misleading. So there's a section in your article that you wrote that I'd like you to further elaborate on, if that's okay. You said, there is nothing wrong with posting more revealing photos of yourself if you are coming from a place of pride, but this can serve as a catch-22. Okay, so... Let's see. I think there's a lot of different things that I try to kind of include within that statement. I think the first part is that it's great that we live in an age where women are empowered to post revealing pictures of themselves, where they're comfortable enough to post pictures of themselves, where they're not completely covered up, and that we live in a society which accepts that. But at the same time, I think an issue that can come with this is first the objectification of women's bodies which of course, never great. And at the same time, it's also this kind of social pressure to actually only start posting revealing photos of yourself. I think there recently was a study, God, I can't quote by whom, but I read about it in a paper and it was really interesting because it was talking about how Instagram algorithms actually favor people that have less clothes on. So bikini pictures, you have much higher chances. I mean, of course, this has also been a discussion with TikTok, how it's much easier for you to get famous if you're what our society deems as pretty, but this has also been found out with Instagram that if you, you know, show more of yourself, you have a much higher chance of getting recommended within the algorithm. And then that kind of naturally leads to an objectification of women's bodies because it's only if you are, you know, half nude that you actually have a chance to blow up yeah. on the media. And that's why while it's great as an empowering thing, you also always have to look at how it affects others. Of course, another side effect of this is that social media has become much more refined recently, I'd say. You know, it's come from this, like, chill kind of posting site where, like, you have photos with friends or if you're a holiday where, like, people essentially only post, like, photo shoot pictures of themselves. And that can also affect a lot of people that are consuming this media, especially younger people, in regards to body image and general expectations about what you should look like and what you should wear and things like that. There was another really interesting quote that I'd like to touch upon that was, you said, I think it was near the end of your article, where you said, sex positivity does not rely on your partaking in sexual activity. It is founded upon the belief that you should make sex-related choices without shame. And I, I think that's really, that's such a clever statement, and I'm just like so true, because in the end, I think it's really, there's so many misconceptions about sex positivity, but in the end, it's just about 
being able to talk about the subject without shame and judgment and being open so you can learn and educate yourself better on the subject. But yeah, maybe you do, would you like to say some words on that as well? Sorry. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I mean, I kind of have to write. I wrote it. But something that I was also thinking about that statement as a whole was that when the entire like sex positivity thing kind of got its rise, I think this was around like 2016, but don't quote me on that. It was turned into this like hypersexuality movement, right? Like, oh yeah, no, you should hook up with anyone you want, right? And a lot of the time this was kind of encouraged too much so that people got themselves in relationships and situations in which they weren't comfortable in, but they were like, no, this is empowering, right? And if that feels great for you, right? If you want to like hook up with different people every weekend, awesome. But if you don't, especially as we've become more aware of asexual communities, then that's also fine. And you should be able to, you know, do whatever you want without shame or judgment, <laughs> like I said. That actually perfectly leads us to the next quote I wanted to discuss with you, which was actually, I mean, you did touch upon this a little bit about how if you want to sleep with 10 people and not really know like much about them, then you go. <laughs> but like, you know, you should be a little bit careful. And you had said like, there's nothing wrong with not knowing the last 10 people that you've slept with. But yeah, maybe elaborate on that a little bit more. <laughs> right. Okay. So what I meant with not know, right, was that not necessarily you like find someone put a bag over their head and like you don't know anything about them right what I was kind of trying to talk about is that you don't need to have been on like five dates with this person you don't even need to have been on one date with this person you can know this person for like half an hour and I think that's completely fine you know if the spark or whatever you want to call it is there then go you you know do what you want but at the same time I think it's very important to stay responsible, right? Use protection. You need to be able to have conversations about people's sexual past with them. You don't need to necessarily know how many people they've hooked up with in the past, right? But you need to know when were they tested last. And if you don't feel comfortable asking this person these questions, then, you know, maybe don't hook up with them because this is the type of thing that you need to be comfortable with if you want to have safe sex and if you want to protect your future sexual partners as well. So do you think that's true for all age groups, though, specifically teenagers? I mean, I don't really think I'm qualified to answer this, especially because I haven't done enough research and I haven't even made up my own real opinion about teenage sexuality. I think when it comes to teenagers having sex, it's still something that's not discussed very often. And of course, it's something difficult because the sexual choices that you make now can have a massive impact on your relationship with sex in the future when you grow up. So that's why I don't think I can say something concrete to that. I think always be safe, you know, know your own boundaries. But otherwise, I can't, I don't want to make a recommendation, especially. I think this is just something that you have to decide for yourself. So I guess to wrap this up a little bit, I wanted to ask you, what is the most important thing you want our listeners, you know, the JFK student community and parents to take away from your article? Like what is really at the core of your article that you want them to learn? Yeah, I think essentially I just want to encourage everyone to practice introspection, especially when it comes to the topic of sex and to do this without judgment. And at the same time, be judgeful enough to realize if you're making a choice that's good for you and for the people around you. I guess something that I took away from your article as well, which I'd like to touch upon, is 
that people can't just assume they don't have to worry about or care about sex as much because sex positivity is and you kind of like this carefree like yes like we're yeah like empowerment you know but like you said that they practice safe sex that they don't assume this isn't a serious subject that they really understand the depth of the subject so my last question for you would be, do you have a recommendation for our audience, or maybe that be a book or a movie or whatever, that speaks to our ideas mission as well as kind of your journal article? I guess I have the like classic, you know, the Netflix show Sex Education, because I think when it comes to any topic kind of related to sex, that show does an incredible job at tackling it. And then another recommendation of a book that I read quite recently, which isn't really connected to the topic but it's within the same sphere is not that bad dispatches from rape culture which is an essay a collection an anthology of different essays from people that were raped and it was it wasn't a happy read that's for sure but it was very interesting to see these different perspectives and just hear about these different stories and to let the victims voices be heard and I'd say that's a wrap. Thank you so much, Carmen and Carlotta, for your time. And thank you, listeners, for supporting our mission. I'll catch you guys next time. Bye.